that's a powerful song to me because of the one who sings it when I think about the fact that she's been following Jesus for longer than I've been alive and she can say I testify to you today that the anchor holds faith in Christ can see you through everything you'll encounter in life thank you Dorothy if you have your Bible, would you open it to Ephesians chapter 6 today? We are going to look at verses 13 through 17. The subject of this uh, passage of Scripture is the armor that we have in Christ. Last week we entered into this portion of text uh, looking at spiritual warfare in general in verses 10 through 12, realizing that we are in a spiritual battle, and now Paul tells us how we can be equipped for that battle. And so we'll pick up in uh, verse 13. It says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray. Well, Lord, it is my joy and pleasure to walk through your word with this church. Uh, I look forward each and every week to this gathering I look forward to each and every week of digging into the scriptures and being able to expose the divine truth that is there. Lord, I pray and ask that you would open our eyes to see the battle that we are in. And Lord, may we not be victims or casualties of this war, but uh, may we be valiant warriors. May we take to us the whole armor of God. May we advance the gospel and may we push back the forces of evil until our king returns for us. Father, I pray and ask that you would just uh, anoint this preaching period this morning. Use me as your messenger, I pray, and may your Holy Spirit deliver the message to every believer's heart. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Since we are embroiled in a spiritual war to, uh, to uh, fight in the cause of Christ, we need to arm ourselves. We, we would never consider trying to field an army as a country and sending them unequipped without any weaponry, without any protective gear, without any provisions. And so, as we come to this text of Scripture, we realize that God's done no less for us, that when we trusted Christ, we automatically became enemies of God's enemy, and we came under attack, and we got thrust into this conflict. And so, God does not leave us unarmed. God does not make us innocent bystanders who are casualties of war, but He actually equips us and enables us to be victorious. This text is the armory 
of Christ. It is the place where our armor can be found. You say, okay, you, you, you brought me up to speed last week. I, I understand that I am in a spiritual battle, that there is a conflict that is being fought, and I am in the middle of it. How do I protect myself? How do I defend myself? How do I fight for the Lord? Well, we enter into Christ's armory today. And we look at the body armor that he has available for us. And and what we realize coming into this armory of Christ is that this is not experimental armor. You know, sadly, throughout history, uh, there have been nations who have used experimental armor and weapons and and really their soldiers became the lab rats and and lives were lost because of it i can assure you of this this is no experimental armor that god has given to us this is proven armor as a matter of fact when we come to a text like this it is meant to be framed in the entire context of scripture And so as I come to this text of Scripture and I read about the armor of the Christian in Christ, I think about other times when God's people went to war and other times when God's people uh, were faced with arming themselves. And it takes me back to when David was facing off with that giant enemy Goliath. Do you remember David was a shepherd boy? And he was not old enough to be conscripted into the Israeli army. And so his father sends him to deliver some food goods to his brothers. And when he's there, he hears Goliath come out and challenge the nation of Israel. And and they've been set at battle for over a month, but neither side has advanced. The, the, The Philistines have come down and challenged the Israelites, but they have not taken the field yet. As a matter of fact, Goliath, the champion of Gath, this man who stood... Uh, feet taller than everybody else challenged him and said send me one man one man we don't have to engage the armies one man and if he wins then you guys are the victors if I win we are the victors and he was so intimidating that nobody would go face off with him not even the king of Israel and David comes and he hears this and he's incensed by the fact that he is blaspheming God and he says is there not a cause why won't anybody go face this Philistine and so he volunteers to go and do it And so they bring him to King Saul, and they say, here's a young man. He's volunteering. King Saul tries to talk him out of it. He says, look, you're you're talking about a man of war. You're you're a boy. He's been fighting war since you were born. And David said, listen, I may not have wartime experience, but I've got experience with God. And in my time with God, I have faced off against a lion, and I've faced off against a bear, and God has delivered them into my hands. I, I trust that God can do the same with this Philistine. And so Saul says, okay, if I'm going to send this boy into battle, I can't just let it be a slaughter. I'm going to give him my own armor. And so he places his armor on David. And David, if you remember, doesn't go. And he begs off, if you will, from Saul and says, look, I can't go in this armor. I haven't proven it. And he puts the armor off. What do we know about that? Well, we know that the armor would have been ill-fitted because Saul was described as being head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel. He was above average height. That armor would have been made for him. It wasn't made for David. What we also know is that it wasn't battle-proven. And so David, a man after God's own heart, puts that armor off and he goes in what has been proven to him by God and he is victorious. All odds were against him and yet he goes and he wins the battle. 
And so uh, as I think about this, I conclude that the armor of God for the believer in Christ is tailor-made. We're not trying to be fitted into somebody else's armor that doesn't fit us. God has designed it specifically for you and I. No matter what shape or size you are, no matter how young or old you are in the faith, this armor will fit you. And I also conclude that it is proven armor. God would not try to arm us with armor that has not been proven and tested and tried and uh, proven itself sufficient in battle. And so that being said, the choice then is up to every individual believer. We, we have an armory. We have armor that is tailor-made for us. We have armor that is proven. It is up to us to make the choice. Will I arm myself? Will I take the armor on and place it on myself? And, 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 and I want you to notice the phraseology in verse 11 and verse 13. It says this, it says, put on the whole armor of God. And then verse 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God. This involves two choices, if you will. One is a conscious choice. You've got to decide. It's not like just because you get saved, bam, the armor is slapped on you and you are good to go. No, there's a choice that believers have to make. Am I going to arm myself? Am I going to build my defenses? Am I going to take advantage of what God has has provided for me it's a conscious choice you and I have to make that decision so if you get up tomorrow and you don't think about spiritual warfare and you don't think about spiritual battle and you don't think about the armor that God's provided for you guess what you'll leave your home you'll go into the world you'll enter the battlefield ill-equipped but there's also a comprehensive choice he said take the whole armor of God you see you and I can pick it a la carte well, I'll carry that sword with me, but I don't want that cumbersome breastplate. I'm going to uh, take up the shield because I want to defend myself against the attacks of the enemy, but I'm not going to strap on the gospel shoes because I don't want to witness to anyone. And so God has given you a free will, and it is a comprehensive choice. God wants you to take the whole armor. He, he wants you to take everything that he has provided for you so that you can stand notice that repeated word verse 11 stand verse uh, verse uh, 13 withstand verse 13 stand verse 14 stand the message is clear if you want to stand then you must choose to put on all the armor of God and if you do not you will fall that's the implication. That may seem ominous. That may seem a little bit uh, pessimistic. But if it takes the whole armor of God to stand, anything less than the whole armor of God is going to cause me to fall. And think about it. We know that a Christian can't fall out of salvation. Thank God for that. We're in Christ's hand. If we're in Christ's hand, we're in the Father's hand. No man can pluck us out we are eternally secure so when we fall we don't fall out of salvation but a Christian can fall into sin can't we we've heard that expression what happened well they fell into sin why do we say it that way 
Sometimes we get the uh, impression that they just tripped up and fell into it, but really the impetus of saying they fell into sin is that they failed to the temptation to sin. They weren't armed against that attack, and when the attack came, they fell to it. And so a Christian can fall into sin. A Christian can fall to defeat. How many defeatist Christians do we have in the world today? Uh, a Christian can fall into ineffectiveness. Hey, you think about uh, wartime scenarios, and when you have an injured soldier, they are taken off the field. Uh, there is a recovery time, and you render them ineffective. Do you not think that Satan and his strategy wants to render us ineffective? And he may not be able to uh, issue a mortal wound against us, but if he can wound us enough so that we're not effectively fighting in the battle anymore, uh, then he is going to be able to take advantage and a Christian can fall into immorality. Now think with me for a moment before we get into the specifics of this armor, just the repercussions of that when an individual falls. It doesn't just affect that person. If I fall because I've not armed myself against the attacks of Satan, yes, it's going to affect me. It's going to affect me. I might fall into ineffectiveness or I might fall into defeat, uh, but what I also know is that it affects other people besides me and so when a Christian falls their fall can disappoint others and so you think about people who've fallen into sin and sometimes you held them in high regard and you're very disappointed that they fail not only can others be disappointed by our fall they can be discouraged by it well goodness gracious if they fall to sin what 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 hope is there that's so discouraging I thought that they were a solid Christian I looked up to them I remember them being a leader in the church when I was young and now to realize that they've fallen it it can dishearten others let me tell you if a, if a military force suffers a significant loss in one area area it can dishearten others and and cause them to withdraw from the battle it can even demoralize other Christians we can become disillusioned and say well what's the point in trying it if that person can fall then then really is there any point in me trying to stand and fight just think about the Christians that you know who have fallen and the effect that it had on other people, including yourself. I imagine every one of us has been around long enough to have seen somebody fall. Sometimes they're very high-profile uh, religious leaders, and it's devastating to those who follow them. So let's do everything. Let's do everything that we can to stand strong. Let me, let me bring this home a little bit more. While I care about whatever measure of influence I have on other people. I realize that as a pastor, I have a little more influence than, say, the average person does. I, I've got a church full of people who, who come and each week join with me and study the Word, and, and if, if I fall in some way, it's going to have an effect on people. And while I care about that, I can tell you this, I care most about the effect that it will have on the people in my home. See, because I've got children that I'm trying to set an example for. I've got kids that I hope will 
grow up to love and live for Jesus all their lives. And the last thing that I want to do is fall and disappoint, discourage, dishearten, and demoralize my kids so that they say it's not worth it. I'm not going to even try. And so if for no other reason you and I ought to care about this text because it will help us stand. It will help us stay firm. It will help us stay the course until the end. And the way to do that is by taking on the whole armor of God. It begins with the belt of truth. He says, gird your loins with truth. The belt, the belt holds things up. The belt holds things together. As you think about that day and time, they uh, didn't wear pants and shirts like we do. They wore robes, and so this, this, this belt was this piece of material, sometimes leather, sometimes cloth, that went around their waist, and they would use it to cinch up their garments so that they didn't get in the way and become cumbersome and, and clumsy. Uh, not only was it used to, to hold things up, it's used to hold things together. I don't know why it is, but if you cinch up the middle, it gives you more strength in your core. You ever seen those dudes that lift weights, and they got that big old belt that they put on it? They'll tighten it up so that they, you know, can lift big weight. Something about cinching that midsection together helps us stand strong. But not only that, it's what fastens the other pieces of armor to your person. Can you imagine? You know, one of the most frustrating things to me in the world is when I'm trying to do a task, much less fight a battle, and I don't have a place for all of my tools. You ever find that? And so you're trying to carry a hammer and screwdriver and a cordless drill and some screws. And I mean, it's just a bother. But man, you get one of those tool belts, and all of a sudden you got a pocket, you got a place for your hammer, a place for you. I mean, it's all right there, and you can carry it with you. If I got to climb up a ladder, it's on top of the house with me. If I've got to crawl under that, it's there with me. I don't have to try and hold onto it in my hands. In the same sense, this belt of truth does that for us. It, it is a place to fasten other pieces of armor and so this is the anchor if you will that is holding things together holding us up and fastening the other pieces of armor that we need it is called the the belt of truth what does it mean what does that mean the girt your loins with truth well truth is reality that word is interchangeable uh, in the Bible, truth with reality, and it represents a core belief that sees things as they really are. And so why does it start here? Well, it starts with having a true or real worldview. And I believe that the truest or the true worldview is the Christian worldview. Now just think about this for a moment. Think about these varying worldviews. You have theism, believes that there is a God, you have atheism, and so a was a Greek prefix. It means none or no, not, no God. Those are two worldviews, right? Theistic worldview, atheistic worldview. Uh, other worldviews or areas, uh, we've got creationism versus evolution. So creation says, I believe the biblical account, there is a God. God created everything. Evolution says, well, it all just started to happen, and there was this spark of electricity that entered the system, and things began to, to grow, and over millions and billions of years, it evolved naturally without any aid of God. Those are two different worldviews. 
What about others? We've got things like uh, uh, mankind's either inherently sinful or they are inherently good. Those are competing worldviews. So if you're a biblical Christian, you say, I believe in original sin, Adam and Eve sinned because of that, sin passed upon all mankind. We are inherently sinful. I am inherently sinful. We have a sin problem. That's why we need a Savior. But you know, most of the world believes that mankind's inherently good. All they need is a little help. Well, if we could just educate them, if we could just get them in the right schools, if we could just give them the right philosophy, if we could just create the right political environment, these people would really do good and excel. Well, that's a fundamental belief in the inherent goodness of people. And I, I know that sometimes we wrestle with that because, say, well, I know good people. You know, those are, those are good people. Yes, absolutely. They may have well intentions. But we are all inherently sinful. And so those are two different worldviews. How do you view the world? Are people inherently good or are they inherently sinful? Here's another one that's arised on the, on the scene. It showed up yesterday, as a matter of fact. Either it's gender fixed or it's gender fluid. Literally, it showed up yesterday. In the scheme of human history, this is the newest one. Now, you understand something about these worldviews, don't you? They can't both be true. It can't, true, it can't be true that there is a God and there is not a God. It, it, it cannot be true that there is creation and there is evolution. It cannot be true that people are inherently sinful and inherently good. It cannot be true that gender is fixed and gender is fluid. Those are opposite positions. And so really the question comes down to this, uh, which one represents reality as it actually is? Is there really a God? Then theism is reality. Did God really create the world? Then creation is the realistic worldview. Are people inherently sinful? Then that is the worldview. Is gender fixed? Can a man become a woman and a woman become a man? Well, a man can change his appearance to look like a woman, and a woman can change her appearance to look like a man, but you cannot change your gender. And so everything begins with truth. And by the way, I know that I talk about this gender thing quite a bit, and you may think, well, you're just out against the LGBTQ movement. No, listen, what I am for is for the truth. And what I understand on this is that it's not just a preferential lifestyle. Like, if you want to be a transvestite, go ahead. It's not going to affect me one bit. I'm not going to, you know, try and force somebody uh, into something but I am going to stand for the truth, and I am going to use the voice and the platform that I have to say, listen, this is an attack on the truth. If you're telling people that a man can become a woman, you are distorting the true worldview. What hope is there if we all had to play this make-believe game and this fundamental issue? What else are we going to start pretending about? And so make no mistake about it, it's not about sexuality, it's about the truth. And you and I as Christians need the belt of truth if we are going to stand. And we need to cinch it up tight. Downstream from truth as a belief is truth as a practice. You see... The belt of truth does not just represent the beliefs of a Christian, but also the practices. Sadly, there are some Christians who believe the truth. Man, I've met some people, they, they believe every word in the Bible. They believe the doctrine, but sadly, they don't practice truthfulness in their lives. 
You know what we call that, kids? Hypocrisy. That's when we give lip service to the truth, but we don't actually practice the truth. And so, if we are going to stand in the day of battle, in the day of adversity, we need to have the belt of truth. We need to have a true view of reality, and we need to practice the truth. Be truthful in the way that we think, speak, act, all that we do. Next is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate protected the heart and the vital organs. We understand that this, this area, you can, you, can, you can lose your limb and survive. There have been many people who have done it. You can lose multiple limbs and survive. But rarely can you suffer a, an injury to this vital organ area and survive. Heart, lungs, abdomen, those areas. And so the breastplate of the soldier in that day and time was this protective covering for their vital organs. Righteousness. Why does Paul describe it as the breastplate of righteousness? Well, righteousness is the opposite of sinfulness. You say, what is righteousness? Well, it's the opposite of sinfulness. It is the idea of living right, doing things right, things that are right and are not wrong. Uh, first, as you think about righteousness, it begins with the imputed righteousness of Christ. Right? We, we can't generate our own righteousness. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6 says. And so we can't achieve righteousness by keeping the law. That was the plight of the legalistic Jews. And so the Bible says that the only way for us to become righteous in the eyes of God is to have the righteousness of Christ imputed or transferred to us by faith. And so if we're going to put on the breastplate of righteousness, first we've got to have Christ as our Savior, as our Lord. And we have His imputed righteousness that is changing us or has changed us and justifies us before God. And so, if this breastplate is something that can be put on or taken off, it's not talking about imputed righteousness. Because once you have received the righteousness of Christ, it's never removed from you. And so this breastplate of righteousness is the external pursuit and practice of personal righteousness. You say, I thought that we couldn't produce our own righteousness. We can't. But once we've received the imputed righteousness of Christ, now we can pursue righteousness. We have this righteous foundation from which we live. Ephesians 4 said that we are created in true holiness and righteousness. So now it is possible for you and I to live right, to think right, to speak right, to pursue righteousness and to practice righteousness in in other words it is the believer's moral code of conduct how do I conduct myself well I do what's right in the eyes of God and that is the protection that we need living right provides pro tremendous protection from the attacks of the enemy this Think about that for a moment. Living right provides tremendous protection. You ever heard somebody say, well, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time? You know what that is? That's not living right. What I've discovered is if I choose to go to the wrong place, sooner or later there's going to be a wrong time. 
And, it, and it's a whole lot easier from that wrong place to do wrong things. And so living right, living righteously, the breastplate of righteousness is saying, hey, you know what? That's not right. I'm not even going to take that small step in that direction. I, I'm going to stay where I know God wants me to be. Third, the footwear of the gospel. It's interesting. I love the way that this is expressed in verse 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Shod. It's an interesting word, isn't it? Uh, we, that's more like what you do to horses, isn't it? You shoe horses. Why does he say shod your feet? Well, the word shod means to, to bind under. Literally, to, to strap it on, to undergird it. As you think about that, your feet are always in contact with the ground. I mean, unless you're laying down or something like that, but that doesn't happen in battle, right? And so no matter what you're doing, whether you're marching, whether you're retreating, whether you're standing, whether you're fighting, whether you're defending, whether you're attacking... Your feet are always in contact with the ground. For these Roman soldiers, it was a studded sandal. It gave them traction that they were able to stand on and be able to have that footing that they needed. Armies have found that footwear can make the difference between military success or military failure. I remember uh, hearing stories about Vietnam, the problems that men had with their feet because their socks and boots would stay damp all the time and they couldn't dry them out and they begin to get what they call jungle rot and it would immobilize soldiers. And so God knows that it matters what goes on our feet. And he wants believers to have their feet shod with the, the preparation of the gospel. Now, that's where the wording gets a little bit interesting. Why didn't he just say, shod your feet with the gospel? Why is it shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel? Well, because there's two things that it accomplishes. One, the gospel is the foundation. The gospel is what every Christian must stand on, and it is what must undergird everything that we do. Every ministry that we have as a church ought to be a gospel ministry. Whether or not we're buying gifts for the people in the senior citizens' home, or we're giving candy out to kids at the fall festival, or we're giving away school supplies when it's back to school time, every ministry ought to be for the purpose of getting the gospel out. And so the gospel is the foundation. It's this thing that is bound to the bottom of our feet that no matter where we go, we're standing on the gospel. So it is what undergirds us. It is the foundation, but it is also supposed to be advancing the gospel as the objective of the kingdom army. You see, it is the, the, the preparation of the gospel that emphasizes that we are to be gospel ready. The gospel is not just what I stand on as my foundation. The gospel is what I am trying to carry into all the world. The whole point of us being an army on earth is so that we can advance the gospel into the world. Um, you know, in Roman times, they had the Pax Romano, I think, 
Uh, I'm probably mispronouncing that, but it was the Roman way, if you will, Roman peace. And so when they advanced into an area, they were trying to establish an ideology. They were trying to advance their way of doing things. And when you and I are trying to advance, uh, we are not simply trying to advance our, 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 our issues or our opinions. We're trying to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the gospel ought to always be the preparation. It ought to always be undergirding us, and it ought to be advancing with us. And then, fourth, the shield of faith. The shield of faith, taking above all, taking the shield of faith. Historically, this was a reference to a full-body shield. Uh, the Roman army had different sized shields. They had some small round ones, but then they also had these large oblong full body shields. And so historically, I'm told that this is a reference to this full body shield, one in which the soldier could literally crouch behind uh, for complete coverage. What's the benefit of that? Well, you get protection in any place. You know, one of the reasons why uh, we were successful in the Revolutionary War is because our Minutemen changed their strategy of fighting. You see, up to that point, the armies, with their single-shot, you know, black powder rifles, would line up in formation across from each other, raise their guns, and shoot at each other. And once you shot, you took a knee, and the line behind you was to step up and to do the same thing. Well, do you know how many casualties? I mean, it's just, it, it literally came down to numbers. How many soldiers do you have that you can expend? And when you have more than the other people, you're, you're going to be the winner because you will have soldiers standing when everybody else has died. And so the good old colonial Americans said, well, that's crazy. We'll never win a war like that because Britain has the largest army. And so they began taking cover, and they shot from behind rocks and trees and ravines. And you know what happened? We won because cover can make all the difference in the world. Well, what happens if you're in an open field and there is no cover? You have a shield. And so God gives us the shield of faith so that no matter where we're at in life, no matter what we face, no matter where the attack comes from, we have a source of protection. Fiery darts of the wicked is, a, is a, a reference to flaming arrows that were shot by the enemy into the army ranks. And so at a distance, they would light those arrows on fire. They'd have some sort of substance that would continue to burn like an oil or tar, and they would shoot it into the ranks of the army trying to, uh, to, to strike them down. Interestingly, the Roman legions used their shields to form a shield wall. It was called the testudo formation. Testudo means tortoise because they would come together and they would arrange their shields and they would give themselves protection on the front, on the sides, the back, and even on the top so that they, if they were under attack, they could protect each other. You know, I thought that was a beautiful nod to the church. That's what the church is supposed to be. You and I are supposed to be standing together, faith to faith. We're not supposed to be the ones that are attacking each other. We shouldn't have to be looking over our back at our brothers and sisters in arms, wondering if they're going to hit us from behind. 
it ought to be a place where we say, you know what, we lock shields together. When the enemy attacks, I've got your back. I've got you covered. And so that shield that they had gave them this protection. Furthermore, just as there were small shields and large shields in the Roman army, our faith can be large or small. Jesus made reference to that in Matthew uh, a couple of times. He said, oh, ye of little faith. And then on a few occasions, he said, I've not seen such great faith, not in all of Israel. What does that alert me to? Well, that alerts me to the fact that my faith can grow. I can have a small faith or I can have a great faith. Well, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to go into battle, I want the biggest shield I can carry. And so if you and I will do those things that grow our faith in God, we will have protection against the enemy's attack. What are those faith-building things? Well, it's nothing revolutionary, is it? Reading your Bible, praying, praising God, fellowshipping in the church, all of those things build our faith. Taking steps of faith, trusting God in uncertain situations and seeing Him prove Himself over and over again so that when we enter into a situation, we come under attack, our, our, first, our first instinct isn't to say, well, why, God, are you doing this? Our first instinct is to say, I know that God's got this. And it may not look good to me at this time, and I may not understand everything that's going on, but I trust Him like Job. Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. That's the kind of faith that we want as our protection. Fifth is the helmet of salvation. It says taking the helmet of salvation. The helmet protects the head. And so to take the helmet of salvation means the consciousness of salvation and the protection that such consciousness provides. It means to think like you're saved. Do you all remember what you used to think like before you got saved? I remember that there was this distinct difference between how I thought before I got saved and how I thought after I got saved. And what I've noticed is the longer that I've been saved and the more time that I spend with Jesus, the more my thinking has changed from what it used to be. And so we need to put on that helmet, that consciousness of salvation. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10 describes it when it's talking about the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're powerful through God to pulling down of strongholds. And listen to what it says about your mind. It says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Putting on the helmet of salvation means that I bring every thought under the lordship of Christ. You know where the spiritual battle often is fought is in the mind? Can I take a survey? Can you be honest? We're in church. How many of you all have thought things that you would never do? Yeah. You think that's dangerous? <laughs> yeah. Because that's where it all starts. And taking the helmet of salvation is when that thought enters. You say, whoa, 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 that's not supposed to be here. That is not sanctioned by Christ. I'm going to stop 
that line of thought. How many of you all know how your brain works? And you can have something trigger a thought, and you can either shut that thought down and move on to something else, or you can dwell on it, and you can start expanding it, and you can start going down a path and imagining things and thinking about things, and you can find yourself in a very dangerous situation mentally. So this helmet of salvation is saying, hey, look, filter everything through Christ. If that thought is not something that Christ would sanction, then, then shut it down right there. You say, how do I stop it? How do I shut it down? Well, there's things that you can do. One is memorize Scripture. And, and when a thought comes in your mind that you don't want to be there, quote that verse in your mind. Pick out a favorite song that you have, that you, a Christian song that you love, where it's a hymn or a contemporary song, whatever it is. Memorize some lyrics to it. And when the thought comes and you want to stop that thought, make yourself sing that line of that song. I mean, there are things that you can do to bring your thoughts under the lordship of Christ. And then finally, the sword of the Spirit. We are plainly told that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Taking to yourself the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Listen, it's not just carrying your Bible around like a talisman. right? I wouldn't go to that haunted house if I didn't have a crucifix and a Bible with me. I'll tell you what. It's a... Listen, it's not a talisman. It's not a good omen. It's not, it's not a, a, a trinket that, that we carry for good luck to ward off evil spirits. When it says to take the Bible, which is the sword of the Spirit, it is the idea that we hide God's Word in our hearts so that, that, that it, we can fight off the temptations that come. The, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's quick and powerful, deciding asunder between the thought and the intent of the heart. Listen, the Word of God is the offensive of weapon that we have and it is not our weapon so wait, wait a minute I thought we we're putting on the armor how can the sword not be my sword well I'm just reading the Bible it's the sword of the what the spirit it's the sword of the spirit you see, when you and I get saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. And, and the Holy Spirit of God is God, and God is working in our life. And when you and I take the Word of God and we hide it in our hearts, we memorize it, we study it, we are arming the Holy Spirit to use that in our life so that the Spirit combats the inclinations of the flesh. So that if I have trouble with my temper, I memorize Scripture about uh, my temper, and when I start to get mad, the Holy Spirit of God, man, grabs that verse like a sword and strikes down that anger, right? Uh, because that is what the Holy Spirit will do for you and I. He's the advocate of God in our heart. But if we don't arm Him, we don't equip Him, we don't familiarize ourselves with Scripture, uh, then we render Him. We render Him ineffective in the fight. And so we want to study and memorize and read the Scripture and arm the Holy Spirit to fight the battle in our life. Every believer has a full suit of armor available to them in Christ. However, it's up to each of us to take the armor on, all the armor. And this, dear Christian, will determine whether or not you stand or you fall. The reality is that Christians fall every day. They fall out of church. They fall into sin. 
they fall into temptation they fall into addiction they fall into fear they fall into greed they fall because they haven't armed themselves in Christ do you not see that this is where the spiritual battle rages every day right I told you last week when we began this thing this isn't some spooky mystical you know exorcist poltergeist type thing this is the daily Christian life and you stand or you fall depending on whether or not you are armed with the armor of God in Christ and so let's arm ourselves so that we can stand in this battle would you pray with me so we bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment perhaps you're here today and you feel like you've been under attack maybe you can't really put your finger on it but it sure seems like you're getting hit from every side and you don't know what to do about it I can tell you that times like this come and go sometimes the battle is more intense than it is at others perhaps the enemy knows that we're weak and he's trying to get us to fall the answer that I can give you is that it never hurts to put the armor on that we begin with what God gave us and we take that helmet of salvation that girdle of truth that breastplate of righteousness those shoes of gospel readiness the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit and we can sustain the attacks and we can advance the cause of Christ oh Lord I do pray for your church I know Lord that we're under attack I've experienced it in my own life as well as others have. Sometimes it's subtle and we don't realize it until we're already suffering from some injuries. And so, Lord, I pray and ask that you would help us to endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ, that we would take to ourselves the whole armor of God, that we might be able to stand in the evil day and that we might be able to stand against the evil one. Oh, Father, I pray for these Christians. I pray that everyone would stand strong till Jesus comes back. God, help us to persevere, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand with me and let's sing. Oh.